Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful perspective of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. This is episode 25, the last episode of the Gospels, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20 through 21. And congratulations for making it this far. It's 25 um, studies in halfway through the year and... A little sad. Yeah. A little sad to be ending the Gospels. Yeah. It's it's so, such a fun place to study in the scriptures. Um, But I really look forward to moving on too. I think it will be really cool. And this is a really good episode, a really good study to end with too. There's a lot in here, so we're excited to dive in. Yeah. But first, um, we hope that you guys are having an awesome summer and we... Um, have a little summer dilemma. I guess I do. You have a summer you, dilemma. Zach is very solid in his view on this. <laughs> I have the passion of a convert. Well, yeah, that's true. So here's the thing. It's summer. You get to decide what kind of tan line you have on your feet. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. I have been a devout Chaco user. If you haven't, if you don't know what Chacos are, they're outdoor sandals that are just awesome. I had they a pair. They are so much more than a That's sandal. That's why Zach says he's a convert because I made him buy a pair, which he would never pay that much for a pair of shoes, but they last forever. So mm-hmm. anyway, I had a pair for like 15 years and I sold it, sold them a couple years ago and I didn't buy any last year, I think, because I was like in, oh, which kind do I buy? And finally I have some this year, excited to wear them. But now my other favorite shoe is a Birkenstock. And I already have a tan line that's a Birkenstock, so I've been debating which tan line I should go for this summer. It is very important. Which episode was it that we did first world problems? <laughs> this what? is definitely which, a first world Which $100 shoe tan oh, line that should is, I That does sound pretty bad. You're right. I'm sorry. Anyway. Now on to much, much more important yeah. things. Um, we wanted to, before we start this week's episode... At the very first episode that we did this year with the New Testament, um, in fact, the first couple of episodes, um, we did some introduction to the different gospel writers. One of the things I've loved about studying the gospels is each gospel writer has a very different perspective of the Savior. They make some really deliberate changes. They put the stories in very different places. And it's clear, if you're paying attention, that they have some Uh, unique testimonies and witnesses of the Savior. It's not just the Savior's life four times in a row. It's his life taught from four different perspectives to four very different audiences. And so, for example, Matthew has been trying over the course of the last 25 weeks that we've been studying to prove to us that Jesus is the promised Messiah. So in the beginning, when Matthew tells Jesus's lineage, he ties him back to Abraham, that Jesus is the fulfillment of Abrahamic promises. Luke wants to prove that Jesus is the universal savior of all mankind. So when he does Jesus's genealogy, he ties it all the way back to Adam. Uh, Mark has this really heavy hitting focus on action. Most people think that Mark's gospel is written first. And so Mark's accounts of Jesus' miracles and his power and his ability comes first because Mark is writing into a world where Christians are very, very heavily persecuted and he wants to remind them why they're Christian in the first place. John, of course, has this very intimate, personal record written probably to people that were already Christian. And his genealogy takes Jesus, remember John, the first chapter, he takes Jesus all the way back to the pre-mortal existence. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So he wants to show that Jesus transcends everything. 
um, and that this transcendent God has condescended, taken on this mortal form so that he can save us. So some really great truths that can come from studying these gospels individually. However, as we near the end here, given their different perspectives, every single author ends at the exact same place. And I think it's powerful to notice that even though they have different perspectives and different audiences, they all end in the same place. And that end is the resurrection of the Savior Jesus Christ and that his interaction with individuals um, after his resurrection. Um, and that's the title of this episode is Living. And that's what we want to focus on is who this living Jesus Christ is and what his interaction is with us as his modern day disciples, learning from what his interaction was with his uh, earlier day disciples. I agree, as we talked about the kind of the culmination of these gospels and how exciting this these studies are of these chapters. I think, oh, it's very hard to say this, but I really think that these were some of my favorite to study. I think you can really identify with these characters that we're reading about in the scriptures because we're in the same boat that they are. We are waiting on on a savior. We're waiting on his his second coming. We're we know what it feels like. They they in these very intimate ways that have been one on one with the savior have waited and when he appears to them um, I just love reading these accounts. They're so powerful because in many ways we can identify with that feeling of what am I going to feel like when he comes again? And I think that's why this um, study can become so rich and so meaningful for us in these chapters of, of seeing and feeling and understanding who the risen Lord is. Before you go any further in this episode, if you're somewhere near a computer and you can pause I'd recommend pausing, looking at the show notes. We have a link in our show notes to a video, a little minute and a half video that I came across a couple of years ago um, by this Christian video group. They produce a whole bunch of videos. I haven't watched more than a couple of them, but I love this one video. So if you have time to pause, pause, go watch that video and come back. If you don't have time to pause, um, we'll give you the scriptural version of the video. But the whole point of that video by the way, if you paused and went and watched it and are back now, welcome back. <laughs> the whole point of that video is what if Jesus Christ's resurrection was today? What if this story that we've been reading over the past 25 weeks happened in 2019 instead of in the meridian of time? How would we respond? And so the video just shows uh, contemporary people uh, finding out that Jesus has risen and what their emotional response is, the way that they would feel. And I think it's a really compelling idea to ask yourself, what if this happened today? What if what if I had been one that had seen this mortal Messiah teaching and I'd been, let's say I'd been taught by him or healed by him, or he'd come to my home or he'd taught my children on his knee. And then all of a sudden he was crucified. And here I get this text message saying he's risen or the news outlets start lighting up. Jesus, who was killed three days ago, is alive again. People are seeing him. Reports are showing up all over. And now I've got all my social media accounts are showing up with people there and they're seeing him and he's appearing to them. What would I feel? Um, there's an account that I think does a really good job of conveying this. This is in John chapter 20. 
Um, most people will we'll study John chapters 20 and 21. There are quite a few Bible scholars that think that John's gospel actually ends in 20 and that John chapter 21 was added later on. Um, it fits because John chapter 20, verse 31, 30 and 31, John supposedly ends by saying, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through believing you might have life through his name. That's Most people think that's where John ends, and then John chapter 21 is added later. Whether that's true or not, in John chapter 20 is this probably one of my favorite accounts of, of Jesus after his resurrection, this living Christ meeting someone. And you love it too, starting in verse 11. Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre, and seeth two angels in white sitting, one at the head, one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back, and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary. She turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Then this verse, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. That phrase always bothered me until I started looking at it in different translations, and then I've since looked it up in the Greek. Uh, a much better translation, in fact, you were looking at it in yours, and I was looking at it in mine. Um, what yeah. was your... In- yeah, so, and this is a Christian standard Bible. He says in verse 17, don't cling to me, Jesus told her. And in the NIV, the phrase is, do not hold on to me. The Greek is much more uh, attuned to what those two translations say. In other words, Jesus doesn't, as I had in my head imagined, put out his hand to stop Mary from touching him. He says to her, in essence, Mary, you've got to stop clinging to me. You've got to let me go, which completely shifts the image in my head. Jesus says Mary, she recognizes him, and she does what any of us would do. She runs to him, she wraps her arms around him, she holds on to him, and he holds on to her, and then he says to her, Mary, you have to let me go, because I haven't yet ascended to my father. Go tell my brethren, we'll see each other again. And that, to me, conveys the emotion of the resurrection. She's so overjoyed that he's there, she can't contain uh, contain herself, and she holds on to him. She doesn't want to let him go. She never wants to let him go again. And I think that matches the way that we probably would feel if we had heard that this Jesus who we loved and who we'd followed was resurrected. And so what we want to do this episode is look at some of these intimate accounts of Jesus with these individuals after he's resurrected and learn from them what the living Jesus Christ is like. We bear testimony all the time that Jesus lives. Well, if he lives, that means he's alive. And if he's alive, it means he's doing things. And if he's doing things, he's probably doing the same things today that he was doing then. So what can we learn about what he was doing then that will help us see him more alive in our lives today? And then the second part, 
what does that living Christ say to us? And what does he want us to do to, to share that message with others? And I think the first place that's worthy of starting is the story that Zach just read. Um, is starting to see how Jesus is with his followers, with the people that he first appears to. Um, and you can't help but notice that throughout the Gospels, of course, he has healed one-on-one and he's done so much one-on-one, but a lot of his teaching was done in, amongst large large groups. As he appears again, we see him first, the first person that sees him as Mary. It's a one-on-one experience. Um, and then we read again um, as he appears to his apostles and we have these one-on-one conversations recorded. And the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 And again, I guess that's not one-on-one, two-on-one technically, but also the account that I know Zach has mentioned that his favorite part of, of third Nephi, when, when the risen Lord appears to the Nephites and he one by one allows them to touch, touch his wounds so that they can see who he is. I think it's another reminder as we see these different stories in these chapters that he is, um, someone who ministers and teaches and is with us one-on-one. It's interesting to me too that um, in each of those accounts here in the New Testament, not only does he uh, does he work one-on-one or teach one-on-one or minister one-on-one, but his approach is different. You think about um, the difference between Mary here that we just read and Thomas. To Mary, he says, you have to let me go. You have to release me so that I can ascend to my father. To Thomas, he says, Thomas, you need to come and and touch me. You need to touch the marks of the hands or marks of the nails in my hands and in my feet. You need to feel my side. You need to, essentially, you need to do the opposite of what Mary was doing. Because Mary knew. Because Mary already knew. And so here he is approaching two individuals that he loves. And I'll talk a little bit later about Thomas because I think we need to give Thomas a huge break. We give him a label of doubting Thomas and he probably doesn't deserve it. But regardless, he approaches these two individuals very differently. Um, If you think of Jesus approaching the apostles on the way or the disciples on the way to Emmaus and talking to Peter in John chapter 21, his approach is very different, right? Um, To the two on the way to Emmaus, his identity is hidden from them and they come to recognize him only after he's eaten with them and taught them and opened their eyes to the scriptures um, and then he disappears from their midst, and they're left on their own to go and teach. To Peter, he's very quickly um, visible and very quickly obvious who he is, and he gives Peter this repeated direct command to go and feed his sheep. And so I love that he's not only one-on-one with each of them, but his his tactics are unique and fitting to the individual he's with. And I think that's a great indicator of how Jesus is as a person. And so if we're looking for him more in our life, if I'm listening to the way that someone else feels the Spirit or someone else relates to the Savior or someone else's relationship with Heavenly Father, I shouldn't expect that same relationship or that same avenue with me because he's going to talk to me and work with me and teach me and heal me in a way that fits my unique personality and my unique characteristics. I think that's something I actually really appreciate in the scriptures that, like you're saying, maybe we we give these characters in the scriptures, these kind of this bad rap for being a doubter or whatever it is. Um, But doesn't that make us understand how Jesus is with people when we're the doubter, when we're the one that hasn't done everything right? 
um, I really think that those stories in the scriptures are so important that tells the story of a whole human who isn't perfect because that's that's how we all are. Yeah. We can identify with that so much more. I love the Peters and the Thomases because I love that someone that's imperfect and makes as many mistakes as I do can be a disciple of the Savior and can be close to him. Yes. I've always loved the verse, um, when the women come. So this is in Matthew chapter 5. The angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Just as he said. I've always just loved that because doesn't that again kind of bring it back to us? Mm-hmm. And that like that video that we talked about that, how are you going to feel? Because he's saying that he's going to come again. And just as he said, he was risen then and he's going to do it again. And I think that's why that, that verse has always held a tender place in my heart is because of that, is because I can feel that. No, just as he said, he's he's going to come again. He keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. And um, I love that we see that fulfilled. Oh, and then, you know, the same story in, in Luke. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. So these prophecies that we saw fulfilled as Jesus ministered and taught the people, um, the same thing he's saying again, no, you were, he taught this. You knew this was going to happen. So don't be surprised. Yeah, I like that a lot. He's going to keep his promises. So he teaches one-on-one. He keeps his promises. Uh, The third point that we found is at the end of Luke and at the end of John, um, I said I'd defend John or uh, Thomas a little bit, and here's my defense. We call Thomas Doubting Thomas. Um, there's an account, if you remember, when Jesus announces to his apostles that he's going to Jerusalem and that he will be crucified, that, well, that he'll, that he'll be murdered. And Thomas is the one that says, let us go with him, even if it means we're going to die with him. So we give Thomas the doubting Thomas label for the one account at the end of John where he's not convinced that Jesus has resurrected until he actually sees the Savior and call him doubting Thomas for that. And I don't think he's really worthy of that title. I think that account at the end of John and the one in Luke with the apostles on the or with the disciples on the way to Emmaus shows another truth about the Savior that he wants us to know that he is alive. And so you see him spending time with these two. He's got so many other things he needs to do as part of his now immortal ministry. And yet he takes a significant amount of time, even into the evening with these two on the way to Emmaus, to teach them, to talk with them, to break bread with them, and then to reveal to them that he is the Son of God. Um, With Thomas, it's important to Jesus that Thomas has a witness that is convincing enough to him, again, talking about him working individually, so that Thomas knows that Jesus lives. And I think um, I heard, and we've probably mentioned in an episode, one of my favorite quotes from Joseph Smith is that, that the Lord holds himself responsible for his revelations to us. In other words, um, he, as much as we're trying to work to gain a testimony that Jesus lives and that he's real and that he loves us, he's working harder because he has more capacity to do so on that same goal. He wants us to know that he lives and that he loves us and that he cares for us. Sometimes it just takes patience on our parts. Sometimes we are Thomas and we're waiting. Sometimes we're the the disciples on the way to Emmaus and it takes a little bit longer, but he is working 
to help us have that same witness. I like that with the apostles, how he even says, okay, give me a piece of, of food so you can mm-hmm. see that this really is me. Mm-hmm. I'm a living person. Yeah, yeah. Those stories are the perfect transition into this next part of this episode is how does the living Christ want us as his disciples? What do we need to do? Um, And those two stories, which Zach just talked about, I think are some perfect ones that he he wants us to know him. He wants us to um, feel of his love and to feel essentially feel his hands and his feet in our lives. Um, again, he tells when he's talking with his, his disciples, um, he says, look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see me, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Um, and he is asking them again to just just see him. And then, of course, my favorite story of all, I think, maybe that's why I like these chapters so much, is the story of the road to Emmaus. Because again, isn't this something that we feel so often? Um, after he teaches these two on the road, and then he has, and then he ends up spending time with them, um, as he breaks the bread, it, this is in Luke twenty four thirty one. it says, Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Um, not only does he want us to feel him and to, um, you know, those physical things and to be with him, but remember and feel um, the way that our hearts, that our hearts burn and remember those times. Because, I don't know, I'm thinking that those, those, um, those disciples, that was a moment that they would remember for a long time, maybe when doubts, when they were faced with doubts or hard times in the upcoming years. So he wants us to know him. So he, that's part of his personality is he wants us to know him. It's also his commandment to us to handle me and see and mm-hmm. and realize and remember that I am, I am alive. I am the living Jesus Christ. Yeah. So know him. And then the next step what we're saying here in our study is to love him. And I love this story um, at the end of, of John 21, as the Savior asks Peter, um, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Um, feed my lambs. And he asks him over and over again, do you love me? Do you love me? Then do this, which of course leads perfectly to the next point is, so we want to know him, which Peter knew who he was, but he was still saying, do you love me? This is what I want you to do. And what he wants us to do is to tell others. He tells, um, he tells Peter in those verses at the end of 21, um, feed my lambs and then ask him again, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. And then the third time he asked Simon, son of John, do you love me? Um, Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. And I think that is... (laughs) pretty explanatory of what we're supposed to do next is if we love him, let's, let's help others. Let's do as Christ would do. It's a really simple process. His commandments to us, the living Christ to us as his apostles is to know him, to love him, and then to tell other people about him. 
um, that's something that all of the authors, all of the gospel writers agree on. The end of Matthew 28, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. At the end of Mark, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. The two disciples on the way to Emmaus, the first thing they do after they realize, after they know who Jesus is and feel in their heart that burning love for him, is they go and tell others about it. And of course, as you mentioned, the end of John, the Savior's commandment to Peter to feed my lambs and feed my sheep and go out and preach this gospel. There's that wonderful Elder Holland talk that we'll link in our show notes that he teaches that entire chapter and says, his paraphrase of the story is, Peter, don't you realize if I want fish, I can get fish. What I need is disciples. I need you to go be a fisher of men. Um, Teaser for the next episode. That's where we're going with the second half of the New Testament is all of these apostles to whom Jesus, the living Christ, says you need to go and tell people about it. That's the whole second half of the New Testament is people, these converted disciples, going and telling the entire world about Jesus. And so I love the simplicity and the power of that model, that we should know Jesus, we should love him, and then we should tell other people about him. And uh, those might not be a step-by-step process. They might all happen all at once. You might start with telling people about him, which helps you get to know him better, which helps you love him more, which puts greater desire in your heart to tell other people about him. But we should be involved in those three things. I've been thinking a lot about this and how it relates to us this year studying the New Testament and um, the call to teach more in our homes and and be these teachers and maybe the burden and the stress that comes with that um, for us. And I think sometimes maybe we, well, often we overcomplicate that and we can turn it into something that feels big and feels scary and feels complicated and overwhelming. Um, But it's not that. This is all that we're asked to do. The church came out with this curriculum to get us into the New Testament, to get us into the scriptures and just be in the scriptures. Um, I love um, this verse that Zach already read, but in John 20 at at the end, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the God of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I really feel that as we study ourselves, even in simple ways, even just reading through these stories of the Savior, um, that teaching be- can become very naturally. Many of you maybe don't know, because we've had so many more listeners this year as we've um, followed along with Come Follow Me, but we really started this podcast um, as a means because we're so passionate about this topic, that if you yourself gain a testimony and find life in Jesus Christ and find life in the scriptures and can feel that heart burning within you, as they would say, um, that the teaching part comes really naturally. Um, And we started last year before Come Follow Me ever came in the Book of Mormon because that's our belief. And we have these these scriptures backing us up today saying that find Jesus, um, know him, know who he is, love him. And then the telling part, the teaching part for whatever age your kids are, whatever age gaps you have can come very naturally. 
There's a lot of great resources out there that can help you study the scriptures, but sometimes there's so many resources that especially if you're looking at social media and what other people are doing in their families or on their own, you can feel like you're just not doing it right because they have this great study version of the Bible and they have this study guide that they purchased and they have this, all of which are good. But what we're saying and what you're saying, that the whole purpose of our podcast is that you have a meaningful experience with the Savior in the scriptures and that that meaningful experience prompts you to talk about it and teach it to someone else. And that teaching is so simple. So as you're listening to this episode, as you're studying now after this, your scriptures and coming up with your own insights and your own feelings, as you come to know and love the Savior more, uh, don't overcomplicate the teaching. Just tell someone else what you know and love about Jesus. Ask them what they know and love about him too. And you'll be doing exactly what the Savior asked you to do. I think summing this up, this verse in 2 Nephi chapter 25, verse 26, and we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies that our children may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. Talking, rejoicing, preaching, prophesying, um, we've had the best of the best teaching us in the Gospels as we study Jesus, and we're just so grateful to be able to share these with you, um, to study in the scriptures with you, and we really hope that you have a beautiful study this week because these chapters are just the best. So we hope that you have a great week and a great study.